Chapter 22 is part three, trio, triangular, go for three. Like he's missing out on something that everyone else knows. Feeling like an idiot is just like feeling of not knowing something. Feeling like an idiot is the feeling of insecurity. Oftentimes, we even intuitively do know something, but we don't act on it for whatever reason. We just don't do it. You know you should do it. Oh, I can't do that. I'm acting like they're going to think I'm an idiot. It's because you hadn't tried it enough. You hadn't drilled it. hadn't practiced it. You knew you shouldn't have gone out to that bar that night, but you did it anyway. When you wound up in a bar fight, you felt like an idiot, right? Because you didn't listen to your own instincts. The degree in which you feel, you, you fear feeling like an idiot this is what people wrote us into, man. I feel like an idiot trying some of this stuff. Is the degree which you look to others for your self-worth. Quit trying to get other people to approve of you. If you do something that is idiotic, the best thing you can do is quickly admit it, learn from it, so you can move forward the next time. Look, what I'm saying here is that being an idiot and the fear of looking like an idiot are two different things. I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but I'm telling you, it, it, they're different. Fear of looking like an idiot and actually being an idiot, the village idiot, they're a long way apart. Everyone's an idiot at some point. Everybody, everybody. I'm an idiot. I was an idiot on the phone this morning. I'm talking to the bank. Okay, Matt, now let me ask you, how much, what did me and you agree on on the rate? Uh, what, did, what, what fee did we agree on? The guy's like, bro, I've told you this like five times. All right. Now I feel like an idiot. And I'm acting like an idiot. How much? I didn't want to go back through my notes and find it. You get it? I'm not looking for my self-worth through him. I don't care. It don't matter to me. You need to get to this place where you don't care that you look like an idiot. Okay? Let me tell you what the idiot, the idiot is the guy coming home with no deals. Daddy, did you sell something today? No, son, I didn't. You an idiot. Get a deal. Look like an idiot if you have to, to get the deal. Feel like the idiot if you have to. Look, what I'm saying here is do it anyway. Everyone is an idiot at some point in their career, in every endeavor. No matter how good you are, there's going to be something you don't know, something you're not sure about. Great men of ability all started out, I mean, come on, looking a little idiotic until they learned, they practiced, and they became great. Your fear of being an idiot is going to keep you from learning, practicing, and eventually becoming great. I got to practice. I got to drill. I got to rehearse. I got to look like an idiot for a little while. Free yourself from this fear. Decide, dude, I'm willing to look like an idiot. I'm, I'm, willing, to, I'm willing to ask the dumb questions. I'm willing to, you know, the, the, one of the big mistakes people make with social media is, oh, I don't want to post something that looks stupid. Dude, nobody's going to see your post, Okay. I mean, you can pretty much guarantee you're not going to look stupid because nobody even knows you exist in this universe. Don't worry about it. The best thing that could happen to you is enough people would start saying you're acting like an idiot. And that would become some trending event. Free yourself from the fear of this by pursuing your ambitions and being willing to be an idiot. Dude, I'm willing to get what I want, pursue my ambitions. I'm not worried about being an idiot in the process. In this way, in fact, I, th I just want to say that the people that are most worried about looking bad are the people that are least endeavoring to do great things. Oh, I'm so, you know, 
It's back to that fear. It's this thing that never happens anyway. And by the way, the people that you look like an idiot to probably aren't going to matter in your life anyway. In this way, you have you will have this rare freedom of being able to stand naked in the face of judgment on the stage, in front of a customer. Look, they're all stages anyway. And you're going to have it at least, at least you'll have a good time. At least you can have the rest of your life and say, dude, there's some freedom in me in me enjoying my life and being who I want to be. Meeting new people. Overall, by survey, salespeople feel meeting new people to prospect them is a challenging thing. It's not intuitive. It's not normal. This is usually a symptom, I believe, of thinking small, being brought up conservative, following a contraction plan, actually being educated with a contraction plan, if you've read the 10X, 10X rule, instead of being brought up to expand an extrovert. For example, do you know a salesperson who packs his lunch every day? If you ever met an entrepreneur or a salesperson who actually packs their lunch and eats at work every day to save money? Dude, this guy's withdrawing from life. This guy's actually withdrawing. This doesn't make any sense. Now, if this is you that's doing this, I know you're going to take this personal and you're going to defend yourself right now, but the reality is you have no business meeting, I'm sorry, you have no business eating lunch with yourself. I know you think it saves you money, but the truth is it's costing you millions to eat by yourself. You should be eating with your clients. You're not doing this because it's smart. You're doing this because you were taught to do this. Look, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, a, if you're a contractor, okay, or if you're hammering nails into houses or putting roofs on or plumbing in and you bring your lunch to work, to eat, you know, to eat out of a brown bag for 45 minutes, that, that might make sense. If you're a salesperson and you eat by yourself, the only thing that makes sense about that is you need to go find a hammer and start building houses, not selling them. The solution to meeting new people and prospects is to reach way out. Think expansive, not contractive. Where can I go today? Who can I go eat lunch with? Who can I go eat breakfast with? Where can I be seen today? Where can I go in the course of my day to be seen, be talked about, and possibly get lucky? Get out there. Go to lunch. Not with another salesperson, but with a customer. How can I get busy? How can I be seen? He's not buying anything. Why would I take him to lunch? Look, why would I take another salesperson to lunch? More importantly, why would I go to lunch with myself? I'm not going to buy anything for myself. Hey, how about the endless list? Go to the gym. Go to the the restaurant. Go to the city council. How about church? How about conventions? What about buying, uh, getting involved in a multi level marketing company? They only meet two and three times a week. Industry trade shows. How about I take a new class? How about I go? Wow, my gosh, the list is endless. Do you have a list? Do you know where you're going this week? How many outings will you go to this week to meet new people? You ever have you ever once in your lifetime? sold a client at lunch in your office out of your paper bag? Have you ever sold a client by staying in bed at your house? Have you ever sold a client by mowing your own lawn? Have you ever met a new person washing your own car, vacuuming it out, being the maid at your house? Probably not. You got a better chance of going to the grocery store and shopping for groceries and actually meeting somebody in the line because you're out. 
point is, look, man, you got to meet new people. The possibilities are endless. If you're actually involved in living life, the possibilities become endless. There's only seven plus billion people on this planet. You can't even meet everybody in your own zip code. The first step is to commit to getting out among the people. Get out. There ain't no money in your living room. Your dreams will not come true. Nobody's going to bring them to your front door. Nobody's going to bring them to your living room and say, boom, here's your dreams. Package ready, open. The second step is to figure out how to establish communication when you're out with people you meet. They don't teach you this in schools. Okay, This is straight out of how do I fill my pipeline? How do I become first not last in a customer's mind. I don't care whether you're selling art, you're an artist, you're, you're selling uh, investors on investing in a movie, you're doing a new technology or website or social media plat- platform like ShowPitch, or you're the next Twitter, okay? Or you're, you're creating a piece of hard technology or some cloud-type-based technologies. You got to meet, meet new people that might be interested in your project. And the easiest way for you and me to meet and develop relationships is to visit the same place over and over until I know everybody in that cycle. You don't want to spot places. You don't want to keep going to different places all the time. The first thing I would tell you to do is have some success by going to the same place over and over and over again until you know everybody there. Then move to another spot. If you take notice of something you have in common with others and are familiar with the space, you're going to see the communication start to go up. Also, asking people for help is a great way to get communication flowing. Hey, I'm new to the area. Like when I moved to Miami, first thing I do is contact some people here. You know, hey, I'm new to Miami. Everybody wanted to help me. Boom, the line was perfect. I'm new to Miami. I'm just moving in from LA. I'd like to get involved in helping other groups. What's your charity? Oh, by the way, I understand you're involved in this party. I'd like to help out there. Bing! Immediately invited to something. Was that difficult? Oh, Grant, it's so easy for you, Grant. It's so easy for you, Grant, because you're so extroverted. None of this is easy for anybody. This is hard for everybody. You're an introvert until you extrovert. Look, asking for help is just a simple, simple way of mentioning the fact that you need help. Or, hey, I like your shoes, or I like your blouse, or I like your purse, or, hey, do you know where I can find the best coffee? Or I might post on Facebook, hey, what's the best green tea? You'll see me do this every day on facebook.com forward slash Cardone Success. You'll see me get involvement from people and make new friends. What's your favorite color for a book? What would you think for the best title? Look, it doesn't matter what you're selling. I don't care if you're selling uh, $10 products or $100 million real estate. All the commercial real estate brokers in the world are underutilizing the technology available to meet new people, make new friends, and get people talking about them. Meet new people. The way to do it today is different than the way you did it yesterday. But that doesn't exclude the ways of yesterday, like go and sit down in a restaurant, have a cup of coffee at the same place over and over, and then go to your office and post on their Facebook page, your Facebook page, your Twitter account, LinkedIn, or whatever the next phenomenon is going to be. Look, a person might be wearing a nice pair of sunglasses you like, or they're driving a car that you admire. Man, that's a nice car you got. Wow, man, where'd you get it? Do you like it? I saw an ad on it. Take interest in people. You're meeting people. If you're in a restaurant, you can even admire the dish the person at the table next to you ordered. The point is, it's endless once you make a commitment. You could ask somebody next to you, how much money you make? What's it like to work here? How long have you lived here? It doesn't matter. It's an endless list. But if you don't make a commitment to it, you won't ask those things. Meeting new people. Be interested in others. Communicate about anything. Reach out by being seen. Make contact. 
be willing to be the idiot and watch your pipelines fill up. Breaking ice. It's always the salesperson's duty to break the ice when establishing a relationship, particularly if you work in a retail environment and people are coming to you. You got to break ice. You got to break the ice, got to get people comfortable. Customers have not called you or driven to your company or your place or location or agreed to an appointment because they're not interested in you and your product. Look, if you're going to help customers get what they want, you need to get to know them. At some point, I have to know what they want. Sometimes just breaking ice is a bit uncomfortable, that first little thing for everyone, them and you. The more you do, hey, the more you do that, the more comfortable you'll become, the more you You'll believe in what you're doing and the less of an issue it will become. Many times your prospective clients are guarded. They're defensive. You know, particularly when they're shopping, maybe for the first time, never been in your space. When you're calling on them due to you going to them or some previous experience with salespeople, they're uncomfortable. You need to know how to approach a prospect, to how to make them feel welcome quickly, how to put them at ease without turning them off, without sounding salesy. And how to make them feel like you're not pouncing on them and or they're not obligated to spend a bunch of time with you. It's simpler than you think. Look, approach the prospect. Do not wait for the customer to approach you. Smile. Thank the person for their time. Hey, I want to really tell you, thank you for your time. Thanks for coming to see me or thanks for, you know, making the time to see me. Three, stick out your hand. Introduce yourself. My name is, I would encourage you to use one name. My name's Cardone or my name's Grant. One name, not two. Keep your hand out. By the way, a name badge would be a smart thing. Keep your, ne- your hand out until the person actually shakes your hand. Make physical contact where, when you can as it breaks the physical boundary. Smile, keep smiling, and keep smiling regardless of their attitude. Whatever they say, agree with them. And once that communication line has been established, immediately, immediately move into explaining what your goal or purpose is with the time the person's given you. Once you break the ice, look, do not spend 30 minutes building rapport. Do not waste time, five, six, seven minutes, talking about them and their family. All that will happen, you know, basically organically later on. There's always time for that building rapport for later. Break the ice. Before you present your product or company, take interest in the client by finding out what problem they're trying to solve. Why did you agree to see me today? What what are you looking to solve? What problem are you looking to solve? If you could solve one problem, what would it be? Okay. Have you ever done something similar like this in the past? Did you like it or not like it? See, I'm taking all interest in them and what they want. What will happen is this common ground, this rapport building thing that salespeople think is so priceless will happen on its own. If the customer agreed to see you or agreed to come see you, they have a problem they're trying to solve. Trust me. Learn how to break ice. Everybody can, baby. How do you stay motivated? How do you stay motivated, okay? I think we use that whole piece right there. Robert, just keep it in. Only people listening to this program will have heard that. I just got off the phone negotiating with Robert Givens. Look him up. CBRE in South Florida does commercial real estate. True story. You just heard it. You heard it here. You're the first to hear it. And tweet whatever part of that story you want, and I'll know you're listening to this right now. That'll get me a big smile on my face. How do you stay motivated? One of the questions I get from a lot of people of all industries, from all walks of life and all careers and all ages, how to stay motivated when you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. Look, this is not a unique problem. And 
I assure you that I have experienced it personally myself many, many times in my career, thousands of times. This is not a unique problem to salespeople. Certainly, it's a universal challenge experienced by anyone trying to accomplish any goal. So the fact that you're not motivated maybe today at this very moment and struggling with how to get motivated when you're not getting anywhere suggests you're trying to get somewhere. Whether you're trying to make a big sale, trying to lose a few pounds, training for a marathon, learning a new language, trying to get the right girl, the right guy, you're having disappointments, you're having failures, you're trying to grow your business and it's not getting there. Look, at least you're occurring or trying to, you know, acquire some worthwhile aim and disappointments and failures are going to come. The key to success is knowing how to stay motivated. Yeah. The key to success is knowing how to stay motivated when you don't, when you're hitting barriers, when you're hitting stops, when things aren't going your way, when things are just not quite what you'd hoped for, planned, or budgeted, how do you stay excited when you get whacked all day long? The number one way for me to do that, to stay motivated, is to stay busy, moving quickly from one activity to another with lots of stuff in between, okay? So literally, I mean, people in my office will see me moving from one thing to the other. I, I jump in, I grab some lunch. We took a break here. I jump in there, grab some lunch. I do four phone calls while I'm throwing garbage in my mouth, uh, food, uh, food in my mouth, okay? I grab something to eat. Robert comes up to me. He's done with lunch. He's like, let's go. I run back in here. I take another phone call, interrupts our deal. Dude, I stay busy. See, if I stay busy enough, you know, it's like if I if the grass grows tight enough. The weeds have trouble coming through. The weeds are still there. I know they're down there. I know there's little creatures down there and worms and, and all the negative little things in life, the doubts, the insecurities. But look, if I can get that turf thick enough, if I can get my schedule thick enough, it, it, it's less of that stuff's going to, uh, it, it's going to, you know, grow in because it's going to, it's not going to get a life. So here I am negotiating a deal, recording this audio program, keeping it tight, completely two different businesses. And a lot of people are like, how can you do all that stuff? Well, no, I do all this stuff for survival because it keeps me excited and motivated. It keeps me busy. You know the old adage? Hey, is that glass half empty or half full? I don't know. Here's, is it really, if you look at it, is it half empty or is it half full? That's the question. Look, the reality is if you're moving fast enough, you wouldn't even take the time to consider half empty or half full. You'd be like, I'm thirsty. Mm. Ah, I'm drinking, baby. I don't care if it's half empty, half full. Look, if you want to be a teacher and be in philosophy, then you need to get out of sales and get out of business and go be a teacher. This isn't philosophy. Real life is not philosophy. It's getting out of the big white tower and getting into the marketplace. And the way I stay motivated is I stay busy. Okay. The way I keep my relationship fresh with my wife is keep it busy. You know, the way, the way me and her are get along the best is when we're both working on our careers in the same direction, keeping things going. And then we're not, you know, focusing on each other's outpoints. My motivation comes from my attention to the future, not from being, not from something done in the past. When I'm moving on to the next thing, I don't have time to get sucked into focusing on all the stuff I did wrong today, yesterday. Last week, all the mistakes I made, I, I'm not even thinking about it. You know why? Because I'm busy again. See, most people are just not busy enough. They're not busy, busy enough. Like they're not hammering, doing different things enough. 
When I'm moving on to the next thing, when you start moving on to the next thing and the next thing, you don't have time to get sucked into what went wrong. Instead, you'll have time to concentrate on what to do next. What's up next? What am I scared of next? I believe a lot of depression is actually a mislabeling of inactivity. Now, look, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. I haven't done any uh, analysts on this. And, and I don't think the people that actually call people depressant do any analyzing or studies or urine tests. So they're probably no more uh, expert than I am. But I just I see a lot of people depressed because they're not active enough. They're not in the game. If there's a fire in your kitchen, I assure you, right now, just imagine you're sitting on the sofa, you feel a little depressed, you're in your office a little depressed, and all of a sudden there's a fire in your kitchen. Guarantee you, okay? Smoke, fire, heat, sirens going off. Depression will not be your issue. You will get busy. All of a sudden your legs will work, your feet will work, okay? Your pump will be freaking, and you'll be like, I got to run, dog. I got to run. I got to put a fire out. I got to get busy. I got to do something. What just happened? You were motivated, motivated to produce, motivated to get a product, either get your ass out of the apartment that's burning down or put the fire out, one of the two, but you got productive. You were motivated. See, urgency, something to do, some goal, something to escape, somewhere to go, reduce short period of time, urgency. See, you'd be consumed in that moment, not by the fire. You're going to be consumed, not by your depression. You're going to be consumed with an object, a target, a deadline. I got to put this fire out. Or you're going to watch your house burn down. You might be depressed later, but not while it's happening. And the only way you'd be depressed later is if you don't get busy rebuilding this house or this office or this kitchen or whatever. You get it? Simple, man. Stay busy. The way to stay motivated is to stay busy. The other thing... Oh, by the way, people will hate this about you. People that have, are living average lifestyles, you know, putting in average amounts of activity will hate you for uh, adopting this way of life. The other thing about staying motivated is you need to stay away from the bad news and the dooms, uh, doomsayers. I, I, I talked about this in uh, earlier chapters. Their goal, look, the media, O'Reilly, Pierce Morgan, who doesn't even live in this country but reports the news for this country, uh, the all the media people, all the talking faces, look, their goal is to share bad news and doomsday scenarios. Uh, Anderson Cooper, you know, he goes from catastrophe to catastrophe. Can't wait till they get there. Give me a ticket. Give me over there fast as possible. Their goal is to drag you down. And don't kid yourself. I'm not over, over like uh, pitching this. Their goal is to drag you down. And make sense of where you live and make you feel good about it by giving you two minutes of 58 minutes of how your life is better than, than the rest of the world. And two minutes of some, some little funny tidbit that, ah, oh, I like him. With the goal of keeping you on that sofa, in that chair, not feeling good about yourself, about your company, about the future, about the economy and uncertainty. They will only leave you feeling like more of a failure, more hopeless, just a little better off than the rest of the people. The world's coming to an end, more apathetic about taking action. And no wonder people aren't motivated, man. Instead, stay positive. Keep connected to people on your team. Don't find time for TV. Be so busy. Like, like you're like, man, I haven't watched my favorite show in six weeks. And it's sitting on TiVo re recorded or sitting on Netflix and you... That's, that's the kind of problems you want. You miss your favorite show because you're so freaking busy. Instead, stay positive. Keep connected to people on your team. 
you don't have a team, get one. In your group, if you don't have a good, strong group, get it. And get connected to training, motivation. I know all this sounds like ah, la, 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 la. Dude, it's not la, la. What you surround yourself with is how you're going to think. You want to stay motivated? Don't get motivated. Stay motivated by surrounding yourself in an environment that is motivational. And stay busy. Starting over with new clients. Look, making a brand, making a new start, will cause anxiety and uncertainty. If you're completely certain about it, I mean, look, if it was that easy, everybody would do it and you wouldn't even have space to. If you're starting over with a new product or a new company or you need to get back to square one, because the reality is, look, we're all starting over. A guy called me the other day, man, I'm doing, a, I'm starting over my career. Bro, big deal. I mean, I start over every day, okay? Sometimes I start over two and three times a day. What, what's the, oh yeah, but I'm starting a new deal. Uh, yeah, that's not a big deal. I start over every day. You should be thinking fresh like that. If you're starting over with a new product or a new company and you need to get back to square one, it can cause you to feel like you're defeated or a zero. If you've ever heard that hero to zero, I went there, lost it all, had to start over. Or I had a good month and now I got to start over at zero. Well, don't, don't, don't think like that. Think you're starting fresh all the time. When you find yourself in this situation, the thing to do is maybe make a plan. And more important, get into action. If you're starting over, you've already, begin, you're, you're, you've already been at the beginning point and gotten past it. Grant, I'm starting over. Okay, well, that's something you already did, bro. That's not something you're going to do, right? Well, what do you mean? No, I'm starting over. Uh-huh. Yeah. When did you start over? That's not something you're going to do. That's something you've already done. <laughs> Check it out. Guy just lost his job. Rob loses his job. Rob now says, oh, I got to start over and go find another job. No, bro, you don't need to go start over. You already started over. When you lost your job, you started over. You were starting over when you lost your job. And by the way, you already got a job. You're the only one that doesn't know it. What, what, what job is that? Your new job is to find a new job. See, you're always employed, folks. How are you going to think about this? How are you going to approach it? Look, make your prospect list for a new startup. Work your power base for a new startup. Get your speed on with your new product and your new service. Better to go to market fast with mistakes than to go to market slow and never get there. Get into action. The faster you start presenting your pitch, getting interest, building your pipeline, the quicker you will work your way out of the condition of being unknown and brand new. But you're not starting over. You're just not known now for this new thing. Get your name, your product, your message outright to everyone, outright into the public, to everyone. Don't wait to become an expert on a new product or company. Know enough that you yourself are sold on this new idea, this new startup, this new thing, and get and go make it known to others. For instance, I'll give you an example. If you go to Cardone Success on Facebook, Cardone Success on Facebook, you'll see me talking about things that will not happen to me for months whether it's a TV show or radio show, a new book, an idea, you'll see me have an idea, post it, show it, share it, talk about it, and start, see, just putting a piece of, just putting one ember in the fire. Maybe I add a piece later on. Maybe I add another piece. All right, when are you going to get started? What's it going to be like when you get started? How do you start over with new clients? This is a problem for most salespeople. Don't let it be one for you. Losing business to others. Look, it's demoralizing to lose a deal to a competitor. You have two choices of action when this happens. You can blame the, another person or someone else and be a victim, 
or you can learn from it and win the next round. Okay. But in business, you're going to lose deals. You're going to lose deals to other people. You're going to lose fights. This isn't like a professional, you know, athletic career, boxing career, football career. You know, the, the, the career in sales can last 40 years. Unlike a, a football player that's going to last maybe what, six, eight years. See, if you choose the first plan of action, blaming someone else or some condition, you become a victim. The reason for this is when you blame another, even if it's true, oh, he undercut me, he underpriced me, he stole the business, he promised him something I can't promise, he offered an incentive that we can't do, they offered financing and we don't. All those are blaming indicators. You're making yourself a victim and you're making them right. You're actually making them superior. So when you're trying to make them wrong, oh, they offered you know, a lower price. Like you're making them the, you're just flowing power to them to say they can operate at a lower cost than you can. The reason for this is that you're not taking full responsibility. Look, to be a, a, a great, I mean, an excellent, a world-renowned salesperson, you have to increase your responsibility level. That means you can never, ever give somebody else responsibility for why that deal, why that thing didn't get handled. You're allowing the consideration of you being a victim to creep into your thinking that something or someone other than yourself is in control of every transaction. You are in control of every transaction. This, this idea, even if you're right, oh, they rear end me or they cheated me or even though that might be true, you got run into from the back or they conspired to cheat you. All this turns over control to others. This leaves too much room for failure, opens the door to your competitor so they can keep swooping in, keep winning deals and keep you down. Instead, look, I know, I know guys in the marketplace. I know a guy once told me, hey, Grant, most of my advertising is designed to put our competition on their heels. It is not to get our customer at our front door. Most of our advertising is done for the sole sake to back our competition off, people they compete with, sell against, have similar products to. Not our, Their first goal was not to spend money to get people to their front door, but to put their, their competition uh, on their heels. Instead, look, when you lose a deal to a competitor, try choosing path number two. Path number two is what happened? What did I do to not get that business? What did I not say about my product? What did I not make clear? What could I have done different? How, could I, how can I make my product or my value or my brand superior without lowering my price? Look, it might be a slight tweak of your presentation. It might be a, uh, um, some piece of information you didn't share. A great tool to use in getting known what you did wrong is to have someone other than yourself, preferably a manager, find out by making a phone call or a visit, hey, what happened? Why didn't we get this business? Oh, they gave me a lower price. Other than price, why didn't they get it? But many times the client will tell another person, a third party, more than they'll tell you. This is a non-threatening call, which is not pushing for sale. It's done more along the lines of a quality control procedure to find out how the customer's experience was, how the salesperson did in representing the company, in this case, it's you, and what you could do different. This is very effective. It can garner valuable information that you can learn from and put into use if you're not being a victim, because victims can never learn anything. Let me tell you, the only thing that ever happens to a victim is bad stuff, over and over and over again. You know, you know the victim? The victim says, I'm not at fault. 
Somebody else was, and this is going to happen to me again. And oh, by the way, you can always ask some victim, is this the first time this happened to you? And they'll be like, oh, no. Happens to me all the time. Like they're, it, you, You'd think they're winning lottery tickets. Oh, no, man. Oh, no. Bad stuff happens to me all the time. Oh. See, see, there's just no upside to being a victim. Now, this call, a third-party call, hey, what did he do? What could he have done different? Why didn't you buy from us? You know, if the price was the same, if we'd have done this, what could we have done to make a difference? Any of that. This could put you at cost, put your company more at, you know, control and actually putting you in a position to do something about it instead of crying in your spilt milk like a little, you know, little itch bay. Lack of consistency. Look, your lack of consistency always, always, always boils down to a lack of real discipline. We talked about discipline earlier. Discipline is not a concept for bodybuilders. This is not you know, discipline's not something confined to military people and bodybuilders and, and, you know, people that are just, oh, yes, sir. Okay. Discipline's part and parcel of our everyday lives. It means you have exerted control over random elements and made something of them. You can see a disciplined person when you walk in a room. Okay. When chaos strikes out, you can see the guy that's disciplined. He's going he's gonna to exert control. You need to discipline an unruly garden in order to turn a thing of beauty out of something that's not, okay? So there's got to be some discipline. There's got to be somebody going there and taking the weeds out. Same thing for a sales organization. Some manager's got to go in there and de-weed the negativity, have discipline to push the troops. Your process of making phone calls, reaching out to new people, handling a customer correctly from the beginning through the follow-up, these are all things that merely must become part of your existence. When you learn your craft, You train and grow stronger. How you get dressed every morning is a discipline. What time you wake up every morning is a discipline. How often you're working out is a discipline. How often you're reading books is a discipline. Your your fears are like weeds in a garden which grow out of control only, I believe, only when you lack discipline to contain them. There are a finite number of things that you must do every day. It's not infinite. It's not forever. It's a finite number, only a handful of things you have to do every day to contain your environment and, and make sure you're in control. There are a finite number of things that you have to do every day. And when you do them, an incredible blooming will occur for your success, your sales, and your income. If you don't do them, you will become overcome, overwhelmed by the weeds, decay, and unruliness. And you will become scared to even try because of a sense of no control. Take control each day and do what's needed. You know what that list is. If you go back to our schedule and look at our schedule, that's why important that is. If you want to check out our day runner, our day timer, or whatever you call uh, your way, your battle plan, your daily battle plan, we're creating a Grant Cardone goal sheet, schedule, battle plan, quote of the day. So each day you can lay out either on your computer or with a pen what discipline looks like to you in that day. Take control of each day. Do what's needed. Create a checklist for yourself. Make sure you reach and exceed each target, or at least attempt to, and then better yourself the next day. Calls to 25 people. Done. Give my business card to 30 new people. Done. Write 50 emails. Done. Post 50 times. Done. Close three new deals. Done. See, mark it off. Show how you're winning. Treat these items as a game. Improve your score every day. Soon, the dreaded need for discipline Discipline will be replaced by fine-tuned habits that create wealth for you, your family, and your business. By the way, 
you might want to put on your calendar Cardone Zone Tuesdays, 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time as part of your schedule. Discipline. Listen to me every day at noon or 1. 1 o'clock Eastern Time, Tuesdays. And on Thursdays, Young Hustlers. Yeah. For the Young Hustlers. Thursday, 1 o'clock p.m. You can go to grantcardone.com forward slash Cardone Zone or grantcardone.com forward slash Young Hustlers. Cold calling, prospecting. Who is my customer? Who? Who would buy my product? Who is a customer for my product? Who would buy my product? Can you imagine standing on a street corner? Who, uh, who, uh, who, uh, who, uh, who, uh, who's my customer? Hey, this is a question all salespeople ponder when looking for prospects and starting a point for their business. How do I expand it? How do I sell something? Who's my customer? Who got some money for us? See, you'll innately, you will innately have this answer the moment you fully understand and are sold on your product yourself. You see, once you're sold on your product completely, you'll know all the problems that your product solves, or you should. Then you're armed with all this information that you need to talk to anyone about the product or service you're selling. Who is my customer? This is the question you have to answer. You'll know immediately who has the problems that your product or service solves. Who are these people? Where are these people? How can I get in front of them? How can I talk to them? Where are they at online? How do I cold call them? How do I prospect them? How do I get them? Know- How do I get myself known to them? Okay. How do I cold call? Pick up the phone and call call somebody. How do you How do you do this? Hey, you don't know me, but I I want to talk to you and I want to sell you something. Could be. Could be. Hey, that'd be better than no call. Step one, leave your fear, your reservation, or your inhibition at home, okay? You're going to make a call? Leave it. Just say, hey, fear, reservation, inhibition, take a moment. Step two, you need to look and sound professional. Step three, map out several potential clients based on who needs your product or service. Step four, go visit them or call them. That's the only way, okay? Email doesn't count. Post on Facebook doesn't count. A LinkedIn post doesn't count. Call them, talk to them, or go see them. Be confident when you arrive. The fact that I'm picking up a telephone and calling somebody doesn't mean I'm not arriving. I need to be as positive on the phone as I would be if I was walking in the front door. Look, I got some guys that work with me. They're real road warriors. I mean, these guys that work in my organization, they've cold called every city in the United States, walk in, cold call on a millionaire, midday, without an appointment, get past the gatekeeper, Grab the guy's hand, apologize for taking time. Thank you for seeing me. I know I'm going to spend four minutes with you. Don't want to waste it. You give me four minutes, I'm going to share some information with you that I promise you'll change your month. Get out of here. I'm not interested. I don't have time for this. Who, who are you to walk in here? See, they know how to handle all that. Stone cold killers. Walk in anybody. Believe in their product. They believe in their service. They believe in themselves enough to walk in cold. Their complete belief in the fact that our product can improve the lives of their customers, our customers, and give them and their people confidence and improve the lives of the people that we're calling on, their complete belief in that allows them to do what most people won't do. Pick up the phone and call somebody cold or walk in and get through the front door calling somebody cold. They walk into companies, bypass salespeople, entire hundreds of people and walk straight into the owner's office, straight to the decision maker, just by their manner 
in which they carry themselves. Man, learn how to do that. Nobody was born with that skill. They exude this air of, I belong here. I know where I'm going. I know where I, my customer is. I know what I'm here to say. I know exactly what I'm going to say when I walk in the door. And I know exactly what they're going to hit me with. Oh, man. I know some of you are experiencing fright just by my example. Believe in your product. Believe in your service. Negate your fear or use it. Better use it by getting into action. Pure, massive action will drown out fear and allow you to cold call. These people on the internet that said, never cold call again. Oh, yeah, it sounds like a dream, doesn't it? Look, if you won't cold call, you will not reach people that need your product. Commission only, no security. This is a big problem for salespeople, particularly in our culture today, with so many people looking for the government to secure them, a safety net, protection, so much uncertainty in so many places. Look, growing up, we were all taught to study hard, get a good education, land a job with a major company, work nine to five, take two weeks a year off, retire with a little money in a company subsidized 401k, and everything is going to be okay. Unemployment, Social Security will kick in. Now they're coming in with health care. Look, this was a safe thing to do when you were planning for your future 75 years ago. Parents, teachers, counselors preached this philosophy to countless students who were fighting to paint, dance, create video games, and think outside the box. Parents, teachers, and counselors have preached this philosophy. The media preaches this philosophy. The financial planners preach this philosophy, this idea of retirement one day. The, the guy selling 401ks, the guy selling mutual funds. They, culture for 50 years is preached. Buy a house, get a good job. While many of you were sitting there saying, man, I just want to paint. I want to dance. I want to do a movie. I want to create video games. I want, I want to do something outside the box. And these people were literally sitting there crushing your dreams, telling you, oh, no, don't do that. There's no safety in it. There's no security. Putting your future in the hands of a stock market, a real estate market, a CEO, a large bank, the rules of commerce is actually the most precarious thing you could do. Witness the events of just the most recent 2008 when the giants like Lehman Brothers, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Merrill Lynch doesn't exist anymore. Lehman doesn't exist anymore. They were stung by such massive losses. A couple of them disappeared so that a couple could stay. Thousands of locations closed. Companies that have been around for hundreds of years laid off millions of people. And some of those companies completely dissolved. What kind of security are you talking about? And you're talking about commission? All those people were on salaries. What we have to come to value as, what we have to come to, to reality with is that, look, that, that, that this safety, this environment, this safe and secure, you got unemployment that's being challenged today, whether it's even financially viable. Social Security, is it viable? Can it pay out in the next 10 or 15 or 20 years? Will Medicare even be here? There is no such thing as security or a safe job. Industries, entire industries are disappearing. Remember the, the telephone BlackBerry, if any of you can remember that far back. It was only five years ago. They owned the market. They're an $8 stock now. I think they were 800 at one time. Safe job? You want a safe job with a salary? What does that mean? Look, the truth is, we're all innovators. Everyone's an innovator. We're all idea people. You've had ideas your whole life. Your whole life you've dreamed. You have creations. Even when you were a little kid, you had ideas and fantasies. 
Now, that, that doesn't mean you need to go work for, for yourself. It doesn't mean not everybody is meant to work for themselves. Find somebody that thinks entrepreneurial. Find somebody that's an idea person. Find somebody that's creative and wants to see creative ideas and willing to fund kind of a space where people can come and play and, and be creative. But if you're looking for security, if you, if the commission, oh man, I don't want to be on a commission or I don't want, you know, the bonus doesn't mean anything to me. Look, if a, your boss comes to you and offers you a bonus to hit this target and you're like, uh, you know, I don't really value that. Or I don't see that as part of my, you don't figure it. They're paying you 60,000 a year plus a bonus, but you don't really see the bonus. Then you think commissions are not safe. Look, everything in life is a commission. So when you get cold feet and you will, and when you start to worry about insecurity, and you will, when you start worrying about living on a commission, and you will, when you start worrying about how you're going to pay the bills, and you will, when you start worrying about how to get to the next level, and I promise you it will happen to you, it'll happen to you whether you're working for yourself or you go do your own startup. It's just going to be uglier when you go do your own deal. Would you rather depend on the board of directors, the CEO's social security system for your future survival, or would you rather depend on you getting out in front of customers, making your products known? making your value known. Who do you think is more vested in the standard of living of you and your loved ones? The presidents of JP Morgan of the world or you? Look, your financial success is best trusted. Who do you think is most vested in your standard of living, in your future? The presidents of the CEO or you? Look, a commission's not an insecure thing any more than Medicare, Social Security, any of these financial, supposedly secure th items that are going to take care of you in the future, look, a commission, everything you do in life is a commission. Everything, every friend, your children, every smile that you get on your face is because of something you did. Your financial success is best trusted to the one person who has the most direct control over that, and that person is you. That is your security. Long hours. Man, I can't work sales. It, the hours are too long. I got a family. This is a big concern. The long hours will kill me. Look, working long hours is an eye beholder. Frankly, I've said before, you have the same number of hours in the day as anyone. Rich men, poor men, all colors, races, religions, no matter where you live, what part of the world. Dude, it's what? How many hours is it? I don't know, 24 times 7? Uh, I forgot what this is. I used to know this. 14 is... Uh... 168, 168 hours every week, every language, Mandarin people, Chinese, Indians, Americans, the English, the Australians, 168 hours, the way we measure time. Rich man, poor man, broke lady, rich lady, same amount of time. The question is whether you're working for your dreams or working for somebody else's. See, it's going to be a long day if there's no dream involved. If there's no way to get some freedom here, if you're not doing the things you love to do, it's going to be a long day. The reality is that even when you go home, you're still working for someone. You go home and you're working for your spouse now. You go home. I know people go home working for their kids now. Maybe you like to work out. So what are you doing when you're working out? Oh, you're working for your body, the body you want. Maybe you have a family and you're working for them. You're out, you know, you're grinding for the kids and the wife then you're working for them. They're the boss now, right? You got long hours. Somewhere in here, you got to find out why you're doing this for you. Maybe you have a family and you're working for them. You're getting dinner together, cleaning up, putting the kids to bed. Maybe you go home. Maybe you're smoking weed at night, man. 
you, you know, you, you, you're working for the man. You know, the man that sells the cush. In that case, that'll be the government here in a little bit. Well, you're watching TV. You're working for CNBC. You're zoning out until you pass out and you start over again the next day. Look, if this is the case, you're working like a charm for the pot dealer or the government. That's who it'll be before long because you're a perfect victim of a system and no longer in charge of your life. If I described to you in the last example, if I described to you in the last example, hey, call my office and get some information on how you can get back out of this horrible trap. I know I've been in it. I was in the rat trap. I was in feeling like every day. These are long hours, man. Look, they're all long hours if you don't love what you're doing. I can recommend a book to you. Call me up. i tell you what it is that will wake you up, make you more alive than you've been. The good news is that if you're working 24-7, whether you know it or not, the good news is that you're working 24-7, whether you know it or not. Heart's beating. Lungs are working. You're working. So now what we got to do is figure out how do I add some excitement to that so it's not long hours. So if you continue to maximize your time toward positive actions, then you're going to be working it correctly. Look, if you're just half awake, stoned, just clocking in, rambling through life. I know I'm talking from personal experience because I spent a number of years operating like this or, I'm sorry, roboting like this. Look, a half hour can seem like an eternity. I've had 15 minutes feel like it was the longest 15 minutes of my life. If you are truly alive, truly the captain of your own ship, then you're going to be in control of your dreams. Every day is going to be a dream. It's going to be like, okay, I'm going to go there and I'm going to make this thing my dream today. This isn't pie in the sky. This is real for people. I know people that operate like this. They're excited every day. Then you're working for you. No matter who you're working for, you're working for you now. It doesn't matter who's writing you a check. You're working for you. You're working for your dreams. And then 14 hours will seem like nothing. It's all in your head. You know it's all in your head. You decide what you do and what you don't do, but you decide. You can literally change time if you allow yourself to wake up and smell the coffee of your dreams. What is my dream? What am I doing today? When I wake up, I wake up just like you. Foggy, don't want to get out of bed, body hurts. Oh my God. What am I going to do today? I got I to I, I gotta get it going just like you. So, hey, what are my dreams? Where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? What gets me excited? I have to do that every day to myself. A career in sales, this stigma of having long hours, look, man, it's got nothing to do with selling, okay? I know guys in retail sales. Oh, I hate retail because it's long hours. I'm on my feet all day. I got to sit here and wait for traffic. You got the wrong attitude, man. Why would you wait on traffic? You work at Macy's. Why would you wait? on traffic at Macy's, why don't you break the mold and say, you know what? I have a customer base. I'm going to call them, contact, go see them. I'm going to sell out of everything in this store. If you guys don't do that, they're in retail, you're going to get crushed. Nobody's coming to you in the future. In sales, you're working for yourself. You're in control of how much you make, how much you do, how many phone calls. There's literally no ceiling to your income, no limits except the limits you put on yourself. And don't tell me about the margins and the economy and the banks. Look, how many people can you get in front of? There's only 7 billion human beings. You think that working for yourself is working too long? Look, it's all work. You think working right now is too many hours? Hey, go become your own guy and you'll see what too many hours. You'll see what fear is every night. Traits of a good salesperson. Number one, 
These are the traits of a great salesperson, okay? So is this it then? And then we're out. Yeah. The traits of a great salesperson. Number one is willing to be told no. It was said, can't make the shot you never take. Who said that? The great one, Wayne Gretzky. Look, to be a great salesperson, you have to be willing to be told no and then allow people to tell you no more than once. Most salespeople never ask for the order one time, much less never repeat, do it anyway. Failing to even ask for the no once, trying to avoid the very thing they are certain they will end up with. Number two, ask for the order regardless. Believe it or not, the great salespeople ask for the order regardless, no matter the wife's not there, the, 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 the money's not there, they're not ready, they still ask for the sale. Believe it or not, the number one reason salespeople fail is because they just never ask. Can I get your signature here and here? I just, I just told you, man, we're not doing anything. I know you told me that. Do you know how many people tell me they're not going to do it? Sign right here. Let's go ahead and do this and get it done. I don't even listen to people. They, I've heard that so many times, I don't even pay attention to it anymore. Most salespeople believe they, can ask, they ask for the order more than they do. You understand what I'm saying? Most people believe they're asking for the order and they're not. They're not even asking. Guy says, I'm not buying today. We're not going to do this. I didn't bring the wife. So they never ask. I just ask anyway. Here's what I want you to add. Ask for the order regardless of the situation. These people that don't are probably trying to avoid rejection, avoid getting a no, avoiding failure, and actually getting the rejection, getting the no, and getting the failure they're trying to avoid. Or maybe the discipline of asking, you just haven't developed it enough. Many people who are unable to ask are operating under some false belief or concept or idea that, oh, if I'm just nice, if I'm just nice, people will buy. No, wrong. People will not give you money just because you're nice. Only a very small percentage of the people will buy from you without you asking. Very small percentage. And anybody could have sold those people. Let's face it. If you're not going to ask and they're going to buy from you anyway, anybody, anybody would have sold them. If you're unwilling to ask for the order, you will only get the leftovers of those who are professionally trained, drilled, rehearsed, primed, and statistics kept on to ask for the order. Great ones, ask for the order regardless. Number three, the great ones, listen selectively. Now, if you're one of those people who believes everything someone says to you, that everything someone says is true and that what people say is what they'll do, look, you'll be a disastrous seller. When a customer tells me on a, they're on a budget, I listen selectively to that. You know why? Because I know everybody's on a budget. The whole world's on a budget. You know what else I know about the whole world that is on a budget? They will all violate their budget when they fall in love. Okay. Everybody violates a budget. That's what I know. Everybody's got one and everybody violates one. There is no exception to that rule. Everyone, when shown the right product, something they love, something to solve a problem, something that gives them more security and a, and a, and a higher sense of self-worth, will violate their budget. Listen selectively. People will say many things to you that are close, closer to meaningless than not. Most, in fact, what people say to you has no relevance at all. I can't afford it. 
We're on a budget. We aren't buying today. We're going to wait until we never buy at the first place. I have to talk to my wife. I'll see you later today. Look, most of that list has nothing to do with reality. If you're a gullible person, if you want to believe everybody, if you're just a nice guy, just believe everything your client tells you. Treat it like gospel. Sorry, you won't be cut out for selling. The great ones listen selectively. Number four, the great ones stay sold on their story, on their own story. If you happen to be one of those personality types that is easily sold on another story, unable to hold your position and conviction and belief about those things you're sold on and then start buying their story, you will be stuck at selling your own products. You will be, you will suck at selling your own products, not stuck. You will be, you will suck at selling your own products and you'll be great at getting sold on others. Look, you're stuck in some kind of reverse boomerang universe where you intend to sell your store, your product, and your services, and then you end up buying their story and their presentation and their viewpoint. Oh, Grant, we can't afford it. You showed, you showed somebody something they don't need, they don't need to buy. They knew when they came in they were on a budget. You show it to them, and what do they say? Oh, my God. You know, we got problems at home. My, my, my mom's sick and, and I don't have any insurance and the economy's bad. And we, we're going to wait. We're going to wait until the economy gets better and my, my, mom's, my mom's healthy. Look, man. And you buy it. Oh, yeah. Okay. You should do that. You should do that. Oh, yeah. And I need to pray about it too. And you buy the whole deal. You buy the whole package because you're gullible and untrained. And you're a good person. But here's the reality. This person left their home knowing, just want to remind you, left their home and came to you knowing the mom was sick, knowing they had a budget problem, and knowing the economy sucked, and, and knowing that they're God-fearing people. And they still came to you. What does that tell you? That tells you they'll violate all their agreements. And that if they're truly God-fearing, they've already prayed to God this morning when they left their house and said, hey, we're going to go see Grant. And we're going to look at his product, even knowing the mom's sick, we're over budget, and the economy sucks. See, you bought the story. I didn't. The great salespeople, the great ones, stay sold on their proposition. Santa Claus is a perfect example of someone that stays sold on their product, their service, and their, their offering. Santa sells everybody. Number five, the great salespeople ask questions. And they get answers. Number five, the great salespeople ask questions. Look, if you hate asking questions, you hate prying, you hate digging, and you feel like doing that is too personal or prying into, it feels like prying into someone's business or invading. Look, you're not going to make it in the field of sales and you definitely will not make it in the field of negotiating and closing. What is your income? I asked the customer. What, how much money do you guys make? Oh, uh-huh. You feel strange about asking that question? You need to learn how to get used to asking that question. How long have you worked at that company? Who is the decision maker in the household? Look, if it comes down to flipping a coin, who wins? Okay? And uh, literally, we flip the coin. Who's going to be the decision maker? And, 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 and it, land, it lands on a side. Who picks? Who wins? Who gets their way? Why can't you guys do this today? Why can't you? 
Oh man, I already told you the payments are too high. Why can't you make a payment that's too high? Well, we never buy at the first place. Why can't you buy at the first place? Why can't you change your mind? Why can't you do it anyway? Why can't you do it even though your mom's sick? Why can't you do it even though the economy's bad? Why can't you? Why don't you do it anyway? Who, who, who makes these kind of decisions? When did you decide to use that plan? How much money do you have? When you say the economy's bad, what does that mean? See, if you can't ask those kind of questions and get uncomfortable and ask and pry and dig and find out, why do you say the price is too high compared to what? When you say the price is too high, what do you mean? If you love it, what does it matter? So what the payments are too high? Don't make them all. <laughs> See what I'm saying? I'm going to pry. I'm going to dig in, dude. Why? Because I'm sold on my product, my service. So what is too much money? People spend too much money every day. Ask questions. Number six, the greats. The greats don't just ask questions. They always get answers to questions. If you notice great salespeople, they know how to get you to tell them the answer to a question. I know a lot of salespeople, they don't mind doing number five, asking questions. The problem is they never take the time to actually get an answer. And even when people answer, they don't listen. So they don't even know what the guy said. I was with a man yesterday, asked me what I wanted before I could even answer. He's showing me something else. I'm like, dude, you just asked me a question. You asked me what I wanted. I'm about to tell you what I want. I'm about to tell you what I value. I'm about to, I'm about to tell you what I want to look at first, what I value the most, what I pay for. You didn't even listen. These people believe, the great ones, believe that they control conversations by asking questions and getting answers. See, see an amateur salesperson believes they control the sale by asking questions, but it's not true. The great ones know that they control the sale by asking and getting answers and duplicating the data. They ask a question, then they ask another question. This is an amateur. And then they ask another question. Sometimes they don't even get any answers and they don't even know it. The person who controls the sale is not the person simply asking questions, but the person who gets answers to questions. How much money do you make? Man, I, I, a guy showing me a condo, an extremely expensive condo uh, for the Ritz-Carlton uh, in, in Miami. He doesn't know how much money I make. Why didn't he know? Why wouldn't he ask? Oh, he, he'd assume I'm, assume I'm qualified. But why not ask? Is it going to offend me? What am I going to tell him? None of his business? Probably. I'm going to say, dude, none of your business. Man, it gets really touchy when you start asking people how much money they make because that's taboo-boo. Sir, I'm just wondering, you know, when you're looking at a, a condo that this is this expensive, you might be asking, dude, how much money does a guy like you make? How much money does somebody have to make to actually pay for this? See, there's a lot of ways you could ask that and get a question to and break, break, break that common ground, that uncomfortable, and start to really get in communication with somebody. Just make sure you give them time to breathe. And always, if you're going to step through the door, always get an answer to the question. Number seven knows that price is never the issue. If you believe that the lowest price is the reason people buy things, then you should not consider sales. You should become a clerk at Walmart or McDonald's or a waiter in a restaurant. Cheaper alternatives can replace anything and everything, including Walmarts and the 99 cent store. If you're out looking for a job and you want a better wage, you better get yourself understanding that you're a salesperson now and you don't want to be the lowest cost provider. I don't care if it's a purse, a phone, a job, a TV, an automobile, insurance, mortgage, 
someone can and someone will sell their product for less money. Even more of a reality is that most of the things that are bought and sold in this, on this planet every day are not even necessary to have. Let's face it. I mean, what do I need every day? I need oxygen. I need a roof over my head, not even mandatory. I don't have to have that. Everything else is kind of a plus point. Everything else is. From the shoes I wear, to the socks, to the underwear, to the phone I have, everything else is pretty much a privilege. Anything can be bought cheaper. The great salespeople know that too high is a myth. Too high. I can't afford it. I can't do that. That's too much money. The, the, the great ones know that the price objection is not the reason people buy or don't buy something. If you believe the lowest price is the reason people buy things, you will never be great at sales. Number eight, the great ones are willing to pressure and persist. And in fact, the great ones that I have met believe the really great ones, the ones that can sell in down cycles and up cycles, believe that, in fact, most of selling, the greats believe that most of selling, most of it requires some level of pressure and persistence. Now, if you're one of those people who have become convinced as a child by your parents, sold by your parents, your teachers, and your environment, that getting your way is a bad thing and that you should avoid all sales jobs and any job, in fact, that involves negotiating, debating, or entrepreneurship, and that pressure is awful, I told you. How many times do you think you were told as a kid? How many times do I have to tell you? You know, and you're sitting there, you're like eight years old, and you're like, hey, Itch Bay, okay? I'm going to keep asking you. I'm going to keep grinding you. I'm going to keep pushing you because I know this. You're about to break, and you're only eight years old. Then you become 28 years old, and you quit doing the very thing that got you what you wanted when you were eight. Look, pressure and persistence are necessary to get that extra sale. A diamond, a diamond is only a piece of coal until the right amount of pressure applied for the right amount of time makes a diamond. People will not separate from their money or make decisions, even bigger deal, just to make a decision, without someone building value and then someone insisting on that person taking action. Somebody has to be sold. Somebody has to be convinced this is the right thing. Do it. Now's the time. Look, you have to learn how to use pressure professionally. You have to learn how to professionally persist so people feel good about it. If you despise pressure or persistence, don't do sales. Do not do sales. Stay away from it. Now, if you've committed to sales, then what you have to do is you have to learn how to love pressure and love persistence. And I promise you there can be a way for you to learn and love both. Number nine, the great salespeople believe selling is a good thing. Most salespeople actually believe that what they're doing is wrong and unethical. The average salespeople don't believe in what they're doing, believe it or not. And they actually believe that what they're doing is bad. It's a bad thing. I shouldn't be doing this. I feel bad about it. Dude, because you're not sold in your product. You're not sold in your service. You're not sold in your company. Even one small dose, one, one little tiny you know, piece of this, this type of thinking can kill your chance of making a sale. Great salespeople are proud of their title, proud of their profession, proud of their product, proud of their company. They'll defend it. They'll fight for it. They believe in it. They don't call themselves consultants. They have salesperson on their card, okay? They don't call themselves something else. They don't 
They don't actually object to their own prices. They don't think they're overpaid. They're sold. They believe that what they're doing is a good thing of good value and a good exchange. Number 10, the really, really great ones, the really super great, they train and prepare themselves. They find time for books, programs like you're listening to right now, and they don't listen to them once or twice. They repeat them over and over. These, the great ones are the ones you're going to find on the front rows of seminars. Bookcases with books, audio programs in their car. These people are not hit and miss. I'm not talking about some guy that got in the real estate market and he was good for three or four or five years, or he's good when it swings. And then when it comes down, he's just, he kind of loafs it out for three or four years, conserves his capital. I'm talking about the guys that are great on the way up, great on the way down. They're just always producing. Training and preparation is an ingredient of the great ones. If you're one of those people who thinks that you're going to be successful just because you hit it at the right time, just because you have natural abilities, but you're unwilling to train and prepare, I promise you, you're going to be punished. And I don't mean punished hurt. I mean punished compared to your potential. And there's no punishment greater than that. Your potential's up here and you're delivering at this level. I don't care if you're the top guy in your, in your company, your region, or the country. If your potential's up here, you know the truth. You can be an average salesperson if you want to be. You can be an average delivery mechanism. You're going to die broke. And that should be some kind of like motivation for you. Even great salespeople would be plagued with competitive threats, industry changes, challenging economies over a lifespan of their careers. And they will find themselves at some point like we all are at risk all the time. To be great at selling, you'll have to make a commitment to sales training, seminars, books, audio programs, downloads, virtual online universities like Cardone University, and staying connected to sales tips and strategies like our strategy every week that I send you for free, CardoneSuccess.com. By the way, numbers one and eight will not only assure that you fail as a salesperson, I can't imagine that you'd be successful as a salesperson if you violate those, but also that your life on planet Earth will be very difficult. And number one and number eight, if you don't remember, Willing to be told no and willing to pressure and persist, number eight. 